Hello, and welcome to the Gravel Ride Podcast, where we go deep on the sport of gravel cycling through in-depth interviews with product designers, event organizers, and athletes who are pioneering the sport. I'm your host, Craig Dalton, a lifelong cyclist who discovered gravel cycling back in 2016 and made all the mistakes you don't need to make. I approach each episode as a beginner to unlock all the knowledge you need to become a great gravel cyclist. This week on the show, I welcome back Neil Shirley of Envy to the show. I wanted to get Neil on to talk about the new Envy Mog gravel bike released this year in 2023. You may remember Neil's name from a couple episodes of the Gravel Ride podcast. We first talked about his experience as an OG gravel rider in some of the earliest Crusher in the Tusher events, and later his transition to the team at Envy and their custom road bike project. I was curious, frankly, as to why it took a while for Envy to come out with a gravel bike. I know Neil is such a passionate advocate of gravel cycling that I was surprised they hadn't come out with it earlier. But it all made sense after this conversation what the journey was for the Envy brand and becoming not only a carbon parts manufacturer most known for their wheels and handlebars, but now a complete bike brand. After the custom road, they introduced the Melee road bike and finally this Envy Mog. In many ways, waiting to this moment in time to release a gravel bike was a brilliant move. I feel like many of the design elements and attributes of the modern gravel bike have been defined over the last couple years. So the team at Envy was able to come up with everything you would need in a gravel bike from tire clearance to accessory ports and all the modern geometry we're looking for. This in many ways is a future-proof bike at this moment. I think again, it hits all the high notes you might be looking for. So super excited to sit down with Neil, catch up with him, talk all things Envy and the Envy Mog, and what's up next for the Envy team. I hope you enjoy the conversation. And with that, let's dive right in. Neil, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Craig. It's good to be back. I've been waiting a while to invite you back because you didn't have a gravel bike <laughs> at Envy and, and now you do. So the wait is over. So welcome back. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Um, well, good things come to those who wait, as they say. So here we are. <laughs> exactly. As I mentioned to you offline, like I was preparing to heap you a bunch of crap for not having a gravel bike until this moment. And then I took a step back and I thought about my um, understanding of the Envy brand and how deep you are in all the other sectors of the sport. And I see from your marketing materials, like you're sponsoring pro tour teams in the Tour de France and the Giro, you guys are all over the world. And then I'm remembering back to my mountain bike days where having an Envy wheel set was exactly what every rider wanted. So I need to step back and say, I should have been more patient, <laughs> Neil. You guys have a lot on your plate, but I'm glad the Envy Mog is in the world at this point. Yeah, well, uh, I will. I will say, you know, I, I felt your pain. Um, the uh, having uh, having the Mog for me was kind of a long time coming, and uh, something I, I was anxious for for quite a while. And so, you know, but the really the the iterative process, and it's something we've been working on for quite a while. Um, and that, that process to get to where we were and or where we are today with this, with this bike, like 
it took a while to really work on some refining it and getting the exact product we wanted to come to market. Yeah, that makes sense. And I know you guys are very thoughtful about the product development process. And just to set the stage a little bit, I'm going to refer people earlier in my intro to some other episodes we did together where we talked about the custom road bike and and earlier when you first got there at Envy. But just to set the stage, can you just talk about where Envy is located and what's the core competency of the company? Yeah, so um, we're, we're in Ogden, Utah. Um, we've been here, this is our 16th year in business. And we started uh, initially with producing, you know, we were the first ones to do full carbon mountain bike wheels um, and really just grew the premium uh, carbon wheel business for, for road and then gravel triathlon, you name it. Um, and then two and a half years, two years, just over two years ago, we introduced the custom road. So our first Envy road bike, um, and that, that, that bike is made, uh, completely here in Ogden as well. And am I correct in recalling that prior to that, you had been working on supplying some tubes or some technology to some other frame builders along the way to kind of earn some of your chops in the, in the framework? Yeah, from the very early years, we were uh, we were rolling carbon tubes and selling them to um, Calfi, quite a few of the custom builders. Um, then we also worked on projects. Uh, we did, you know, I don't know if you recall the Cervelo P5X uh, triathlon um, triathlon bike, we did, uh, yeah. we, we did the fork, uh, and front end, uh, design for Cervelo. Um, we did uh, a carbon rear end for Santa Cruz on one of their mountain bikes. So kind of the frame world, um, we're, we're not necessarily, even though we hadn't produced a bike with the NVA on it until two years ago, like we were, we were not new in, in, in kind of the, the frame business. Yeah. And then on the buildup of the product, uh, products that Envy produces, starting from the wheel set, then you then obviously built a name for yourself in carbon forks, yep. later stems, handlebars, seat posts, kind of everything around the cockpit. Yeah, exactly. The the component world. And, and I, I mean, we learned, we learned so much with, with wheels, um, especially when it came to the roadside with you know, just aerodynamics, how, how, um, you know, how to make the fastest wheels in the world and, you know, uh, support world tour, uh, race teams. And so we took a lot of those learnings and that's, that's what we really started applying to our frames, how, uh, aerodynamically, how, how a frame and the wheels can work together. And if you could talk a little bit about carbon and carbon layups. I think one of the things I found interesting in going to your facility there was the multitude of ways in which you can kind of produce the base material and then think about how it goes into any one of these products from a wheel to a component. Yeah. Um, there's, you know, there's always in the industry, there's, there's a lot of marketing spin on a particular type of material or the modulus of, of that material. And the reality is um, pretty much everyone in the bike industry has access to the same, to the same materials. Um, you know, a, a certain bike brand doesn't have access to anything that, that we don't have and vice versa. So it's really not, it's not about the, the material itself that differentiates product. It's, it's what you put into the mold and basically the recipe and how, how that layup is designed. And that's really where it's where the engineering team comes in. And, you know, we have 
12, you know, a dozen engineers here um, full time at Envy. Um, and that's really what most of them are, are looking at is, is what the, what the laminate is. And, and that's where, you know, because we're, because we're making those rims right here in Ogden, um, we can really manipulate and change the ride quality through, through these, the development process. And again, it's a very iter- iterative process where we can change, change the, the layup just slightly, um, go, you know, do a 45 degree angle, uh, for, for some of the material and basically bake that rim and be riding it a couple days later and take that feedback and make another iteration if necessary. So, um, that happens, that happens a lot in the process. And I think that's really one of the things that has allowed us to get to where we are, you know, in the premium wheel category. So in 2021, as you mentioned, you guys introduced the custom road setup, and that provided people the opportunity to order a, a custom bicycle for you. Kind of interesting. I'm curious to get the perspective: is why go custom right away versus a, a, a standard product line? Uh, I think it's because we we could um, it, simply. It's because within the building we had everything we needed to be able to do that. Um, we felt that. We felt that there was a hole in the market in having a, you know, there's there's a lot of amazing custom builders out there, um, and there are a lot of really high tech uh, integrated aero carbon frames out there. But there were not, there wasn't really anyone combining those two. So we came up with with a process where we could do custom geometry with. Um, kind of a modern carbon road frame with aero shaping integration. Um, so we felt that the custom road, you know, kind of filled that void that was, that was out there in the market. And, and really the process of how we build that bike, it makes no difference if, you know, it, every, basically all the tubes are cut, cut to length. So there, there really is nothing stock where each, each frame is so um, uniquely made that, to be able to offer custom geometry didn't didn't make it any more challenging for us. Yeah, it, in some ways, it's a brilliant marketing strategy just to kind of set the the um, riders just look at those bikes out on the on the on the on the roads with their custom paint jobs, the, yeah. the, the custom geometry with a great deal of lust, and then to later introduce the melee, which was a, a, st- a standard frame sized road bike. Correct. I think that was 2022. Yep. It just sort of made it more accessible for riders who might have been lusting after the custom road for yeah, a while. Yeah, exactly. We we really took um, the learnings from the custom road, applied that uh, to the melee, and when you look at the two side by side, I mean, you you can obviously see how much uh, d- design cues they they share. Um, but the the melee, the stock geometry bike, is really with the custom road we. On a good week, we produce four, four of those. Um, you know, just yeah. the the custom nature, the the paint job, everything takes a long time. Um, so uh, that doesn't the, the custom road doesn't really allow us to scale and be the bike brand that that we we envision being and we you know our our, our goal of of being. Um, and it, it was really the stock geometry bikes that'll you know, that allows us to do that. They're, they're not made here in house. Um, they're, you know, made by 
uh, one of our overseas vendors, but we're the ones that, you know, control that process from, from design to layup through, you know, all the way throughout. Yeah. So even with that, that partnership, you guys are able to take your engineering, your, your desires as to how the layups are put into the mold, et cetera, exactly. and have them executed by a trusted partner. Exactly. Yeah. And now, you know, the, the melee, um, and now the MOG, uh, it allows us to, you know, have a, have a bike in our retail partners across, you know, not just across the country, but across the globe. Um, so you can go in, you know, to your local Envy dealer and, you know, have a bike on the, you know, ready to ride right off the floor. And with, with the Melee, was it introduced as a complete bike or was it sold as a, as a chassis? Uh, it, it was a, it was a chassis only. Um, and actually just this week, um, we're now introducing complete builds, obviously for the end consumer that's dealing with their, their local retailer, you know, that for the most part, yeah. they're, they're buying, a they're working with their dealer to buy a complete bike. We're now offering uh, a few different build options for the dealers. So get, it just allows us to be a little more competitive with our pricing. Yeah, yeah. gotcha. So for just a little clarity for the uninitiated, a chassis would include the frame, fork, stem, bar, seat post. Am I getting yep. them all right? Yeah. 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 And then as you mentioned, like chances are your local shop is going to be filling in the details and getting you your dream bike. But as you mentioned, you've now added on the ability for dealers to purchase a, a completely built up bike to put on the showroom floor rather than them taking that step of getting the components, exactly. et cetera. Yeah. So, so yeah, we're just kind of starting to slowly chip away and growing into a real bike brand. (laughs) So the Mog has been on your mind for a while, but it took till 2023 for that to come out. You know, why, why wait? Why, why sequence it in this way? And what were some of the advantages of waiting? Um, I think with gravel or I know with gravel, it's, it's progressing and changing so quickly. Um, not just how not just how people are riding the bikes, but I think what the expectations are in in the bike that you get um, and its capabilities, its versatility. Um, so it, we we really did our homework on the Mog, and you know we had a few, you know there were a couple of us in the building that had like some very firm things that we want features of the bike. And so we kind of laid those out and took it over to the engineering team and said, okay, you guys are the smart ones. You figure out how to, how to do this, but these, these are the key elements we want on the bike. And they were able to, to achieve that. Um, I get, you know, tire clearance, tire clearance for 50 millimeters. It was, was, was a big one. We don't, you know, the trend is bigger, bigger, bigger. I don't see that slowing down anytime soon. I think you will get to a point where, you know, you might as well be on a mountain bike, but, um, I felt like 50, being able to run a 50 millimeter tire right now is, is pretty sweet. Most of the time you don't ever need that, but it's nice to know that you can. (laughs) So. Absolutely. I'm actually curious to get a little bit of your opinion on this because I know your your experience in gravel goes way back and riding Franken bikes at Crusher and the Tusher and just riding what you got. And I know you're a very capable rider and you probably have ridden your custom road on <laughs> gravel roads at this sure. point without much issue. 
kind of where do you stand personally on that? Like as someone who like made do, let's call it yeah. that, like it was, yeah. we made do with the tire clearance we had. Now that you have that massive clearance, where do you find yourself most excited to ride from a tire width perspective? I'm typically, you know, between a 42 and a 44 for most of the riding I'm doing. Um, here in, you know, here in, in Northern Utah and, you know, you've ridden the Grodio course, our, our gravel event that we put on here. And so, you know, how rocky and kind of gnarly, even just like the, the forestry roads are, you know, a, mount, a mountain yeah. bike is probably better suited to it. Um, so for some of that stuff, you know, 44 is, is really nice. Um, you know, I could, I have ridden with a 50, but, you know, I still, I feel like kind of that sweet spot of performance and capability is kind of in that 42 to 44 range. Yeah. Yeah, I know. And I, th I think you said you guys have like a lunch road ride over at Envy and I'm sure it gets quite oh, spirited yeah. and you've got a background riding on the road. So I was just curious to get your perspective on that, whether, you know, when you have the fifties on there, it, it feels as spunky as you want it to feel. Yeah. Um, I think for, for Grodio this year, I think I'm going to run, I plan to run 48, um, because when you're in a group and they're, uh, they're fast guys that you, you want to try and keep up with through, through technical sections, you take, you know, you take bigger risks and, uh, you know, with gravel bikes for so many years, we, we've been underbiked most of the time when we're, when we're descending or you're on, you know, technical terrain. And I think the, the MOG and kind of like these, these latest generations of some of the, the other gravel bikes out there, all of a sudden are, are kind of bridging that where you really can ride up to your level, you know, within reason, of course, if it gets too rocky, obviously you don't have suspension and all that, but, um, just with the volume of tires that we can run now, uh, it, it's it's incredible what you can do with tire pressure, and I feel I feel so confident now on on big tires. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. I've got a set of fifties that I've just been too lazy to put on the bike, but the the current bikes, uh, the current forty fours are well worn past their <laughs> date, and I I just need to find the time and remount these tires so I can experience what a fifty feels like. But I do. I agree. Like, I think that's the interesting thing about this moment in time with gravel bike and gravel bike design. Now that you are achieving a high performing frame design around a 700 by 50, I don't think you need to talk about 650B yeah. anymore. It's just not part of the conversation. As I was mentioning to you earlier, my first set of gravel bikes, like I needed two sets of wheels because I just couldn't have the range that I was looking for. But I, I don't envision for me even bikepacking that I would ever want more than a, than a 50. Yeah. And, and that's kind of what we settled on. I mean, one of those, one of those key things we really wanted, um, we, we did, uh, there were a couple of us that spent a lot of time between our 700 C, you know, 700 by 40, 700 by 42, um, and 650. And we really liked you know, we liked it when we were riding 650, but then as we stepped back to really think, what did we like about it? It was, it was the tire size. It was the volume, not necessarily the wheel size. And so yeah, we're like, okay, we really want to be ultimately 700 is what we want to be. It's just that current frame designs limited that size. So if we could do 700 by 50, you get the best of both worlds. Was it, was there some sort of magic design bullet that 
people arrived on? Was it dual drop stays? What was the unlock that made it possible that we weren't thinking about four years ago? Um, yeah, it's a really good question. Cause you see, you know, if you look at some of the most popular, you know, gravel, gravel bikes on the market right now that do achieve decent, decent amount of clearance, you see everything, you know, from the, from the drop stay, um, to the elevated, to the elevated stay, uh, we wanted, we really wanted to keep a traditional looking, you know, uh, chain stay design. Um, yeah. And that's, that's where our engineers had to get creative and uh, they were able to, to maintain standard looking right chain stay. But what, what they, to, you know, to get the tire clearance and chain ring clearance, they made the right chain stay uh, incredibly narrow. Um, so narrow that okay. you wouldn't, you normally wouldn't be able to achieve it, but, um, they made it solid carbon. So it's a solid carbon stay gotcha. from the, yeah. from the bottom bracket shell for, to the next, you know, six centimeters or so. And then, um, yeah. that allowed us to get the stiffness and the strength needed, you know, for it to be that narrow. So, yeah, that makes sense. That's exactly what I arrived at with a custom tie frame I had yeah. built. I just needed to have like a little solid piece of titanium to give me that little bit extra room that I needed to make it all come together. Yeah. So then, you know, routing the the derailleur, the rear derailleur cable gets, you know, gets tricky. So what they, you know, what the, the design they came up with was popping, popping it out um, just behind the bottom bracket. And our chain state cover actually covers it until it goes until it goes back into the frame. So um, it's really, really clean. You can't, you have no idea until, you know, until you listen to the podcast or, or you pull off your chain stay protector and realize, oh, the, the cable's external there for, you know, for a section. Right there. But yeah, I mean, those are, those are kind of some of the fun things that the engineers, the engineers are able to achieve when you're just like, hey, this is, this is what we want, you know, go to work, make it happen. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, Let's talk about some of those other neat features that they were able to build in uh, into this bike because I think there's a yeah. few ones that are out of the ordinary or maybe becoming ordinary, but they're they're not on everybody's bike. Certainly, if you've had it in your garage a few years, yeah. The um, the storage, you know, uh, internal storage was something. It, it's not, you know, we we didn't invent it. There are a number of uh, brands that have done it you know, executed it very well before we did. Um, but I will say it took our hatch design. So basically the, uh, the water bottle cage, uh, is on a door on the down tube. So you have a hatch, uh, a hatch door that, you know, can just pulls off and then you have access to the entire down tube. Um, that whole door design took one of our engineers about six months to, to design, um, because it was one of those things. Yeah. Like if we, we, we really wanted this feature in the frame, but it's really easy to make it a nightmare or six months down the road, yeah. you know, it's rattling or it's just, it's not strong enough. So, so that was something we put a lot of attention into, um, and they did a they did a phenomenal job on it. So, uh, with with the entire down tube as storage, uh, I fit personally on my bike. I fit my flat tire, all the repair stuff, kind of in the lower portion of the down tube, and then the upper portion. I usually have a you know a thin windbreaker, or you know you could 
jam some bars or whatever you wanted up there. So it's not yeah. like you have room for a full bikepacking setup in the down tube. Um, but for the essentials, like I don't, if I'm going and doing a normal four or five or six hour gravel ride, like I have everything, I don't even have a seat pack. So the bike looks clean. It's nothing bouncing around. And it's just all contained. I love it. And I'm going to acknowledge I'm jealous. <laughs> Super, super cool. And, you know, I think one of the other things about that design is like, obviously you need to think about as a frame designer, you no longer have a a complete tube at that point. So what does that do structurally to the design and how do you, how do you make compensations in the amount of carbon you have in that area? Yeah. um, I I don't think that I don't, I really don't think it needed to be reinforced in any way. Um, One of the reasons we decided to kind of keep keep it open for the whole down tube rather than adding um, any barriers. It was, was really about weight. Um, but uh, strength wise, structurally, uh, there wasn't additional reinforcement that needed to be added there. And are there cables going through there that needed to be protected or, you know, so your, your jacket isn't messing with them or. Yes. Um, and we, we kind of have a really nice, uh, cable hose containment containment system so that they don't, they don't mess with anything that you're sliding in and out. So just kind of, it's really all about those details because yeah, if you had, you know, wires and your, your rear brake hose flopping around in there, rattling and getting, getting caught on other stuff, it it would be, it'd be a mess, but yeah, all those details have been minded. Nice. So let's get to some some details on the bike. How many stock sizes are available? Um, so we do 49, 52, 54, 56, and 58 for the gravel bike. So five sizes. Okay. And are there are there any details that change proportionally as you go from a 49 to the largest size? Yeah. So kind of with our with our background as a fork manufacturer, um, we we really believe that um, the fork rake is is important so uh, and, and different fork rakes for different sizes and so with the melee um, we we provide I think we have four four different fork rakes for the different sizes of the melee and for the for the mog we have three different fork rakes so that when you get to the the smallest sizes um, middle and and largest sizes that they truly handle how they were designed and we're not just getting cheap and we're, we're doing one mold for the fork and it has to accommodate the whole, the whole size, the whole size range. Right. So we're not, right. we're not kind of optimizing geometry around a 56 and then everything on either end of that is, is compromised. So that's something right. we're, that's something we're proud of. Um, we really think that, you know, I think most most consumers probably don't don't realize really what that does. But it, for us, we're confident, and when we're selling these, you know, this vast size range of bikes, that that really the handling is we're delivering the handling it was yeah. designed for. Yeah, you're doing it right. You're not cutting any yeah. corners. We talked a little bit about a lot about wheel size going into as a design input and a few other things, but. As you guys set off to spec the vision for this bike and who you're going to sell it to, what kind of bike were you trying to make? Yeah, that's a, it's funny, you know, around the around the launch of it or, or leading into the launch when, you know, we're coming up with 
the marketing materials and, you know, a bit of the story is I asked myself that a lot and I kind of kept coming to the, the sense that it, it seemed really generic in a way because we're trying to say like, this is, this is the bike for to kind of check off all the types of riding you want to do. Um, yeah. But at the end of the day, that's kind of where we're still coming in at because, you know, we, we have, we have a, a geometry um, and the level of integration on the bike that it's, it's a fast, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a bike that literally could win unbound. It, you know, it could be raced at the front, you know, the pointy end of any of the biggest gravel races. Um, yeah. And then, and I know, and I just to pin on that. I, and I know you have athletes that are expecting that bike yeah, from you. Yeah. And that, that was it. I mean, we, yeah. We, as a performance brand, like that's, that's a big part of our DNA. And we, we do have the athletes, you know, we have Alexi Vermoulin, you know, Whitney Allison, both, both athletes that are at the front of, you know, these fastest gravel events. So we wanted to deliver, you know, the, the tools they needed to, to be competitive. Um, but then we added in features, uh, like the fork mounts, um, some different eyelets that, if you want to use it as a, as a weekend, you know, bikepacking getaway, like those are, those are kind of when we talk about the versatility, like those are the add-on features that don't diminish the performance in any way. It's not going to keep you from winning any race, but, you know, for, for 99% of us that use, you know, one bike or, you know, one gravel bike to kind of do everything, like it just allows you to, to do, do more with it not, not be yeah. limited in what yeah. you want to do. So it, I hear you, you know, it's, it, it's interesting and I appreciate your comments on it because I, I think you, you guys did deliver a bike that works across that entire spectrum. I struggle to think if you were working with Alexi and you said, Alexi, we want to build you your dream bike. Possibly there's eyelets that come off pops. Possibly there's a few things on the margins that, make it a little lighter weight. But at the end of the day, that's such a rarefied space in gravel, in the gravel yeah. world. Someone who just can afford to have a, a kind of a throwaway race bike that says light everywhere as it possibly could yeah. be. That's just simply not practical for the average person who's going to buy a bike. Yeah, exactly. And then, you know, on the, you know, the other end of it, it, it was like, you know, we didn't want to compromise. We didn't want to add additional weight in terms of like, uh, extreme arrow shaping that you, that you see on some bike on some gravel bikes, um, compromise ride quality. So we really tried to, to get, you know, get the mog to achieve again, everyone has their own ideas of what the, the, you know, the priorities are, but for, yeah. for us internally and working with our athletes, uh, we really, we really did look at what the priorities were and that's you know the mog is the result of that yeah it makes sense it's such a great time to buy a gravel bike whenever i get asked by people these days i'm like fortunately now it's harder to go oh, wrong for sure when i first started the podcast i think one of the whole reasons i started this podcast is i did get it wrong in my first gravel bike purchase and you were always forced to make decisions around tire width yep. and different things that just are non-issues today, which is wonderful. Yeah, you're, you're totally right. I, I think I, I remember 
you know, and you referenced it, you know, to building a custom bike, you know, because gravel bikes weren't on the market yet for my first crusher in the Tusher event I did. And to think back, like the, I knew what I wanted. Well, it, it's, you know, I wasn't even thinking big enough because I would have never imagined, you know, the equipment that we have today, but I knew I wanted more at that time. And that was only 11 years ago, 12 years ago, something like that. Um, but the, there were such limitations on what you, what you could get. You were dealing with um, cyclocross tires, or if you went with something bigger, it wasn't tubeless. And it was just, you know, and then if you did get uh, the actual size of tire you wanted, you were limited on the frames they would, they would, it would work on. So you're just compromising, you know, pretty much everywhere. And so today, like new riders getting into the market, like it's amazing because everything there are, there is so much good equipment out there that truly is like purpose built for gravel. Yeah. Yeah. And that whole spectrum, you know, you put a pair of 32 C tires on an NV Mog, you're, you can go and do your total totally. rides and be entirely proficient. Yeah. And then you can go up to fifties and you can put the bike packing bags on. Exactly. Yeah. And everything in between. Nice. As, as listeners are looking to, to learn more about the bike, what, what's the best place to go and what's the shop network? How can people find where they might be able to throw a leg over one and take a look at it more in more detail? Yeah. So on, uh, on our website, envy.com, uh, we have the, the MOG there. So all the, all the information, if you want to read about it, you know, some of the design design elements, um, the features of the bike, it's all there. Or if you want to just look at some cool photos of people riding MOGs. Um, but we also have a dealer locator right on the website. So you can go through, um, you can select NV, you know, NV bikes and it'll show, it'll pull up retailers, uh, near you. And, and honestly, pretty much all, you know, NV, NV ride centers, which are kind of our premium shops across the country. I think we have about 60 of those. Um, everyone has, everyone has MOGs in stock. So yeah. Awesome. And you've also doing, doing a bunch of events this year. I know I saw you guys at Sea Otter and sounds like you'll be at it Unbound at a few other events. Yeah, we'll right? be at Unbound. Um, we'll be at Crusher. Uh, if anyone's interested in coming to Envy and uh, taking part in the Grodio, our own, our own event, there are still some entries left for that as well. So Awesome. And is that in June again? Yeah, this June year? 24 and 25. Awesome. And you additionally held one in Girona. Oh yeah. Right? Yeah. Last October we did the Girodio. Um, so how'd oh, that it go? Was, it was great. Um, anyone that's written, have you ridden in Girona before? Yeah. It's so funny, Neil. I missed it by oh, one no. week. I had a pre-planned trip and I was like, I, I caught wind on social media that you were doing the event. And I was like, I will lose my mind if the event I've already booked a <laughs> ticket for coincides with the Grodia. I would love that. But unfortunately, I was like a week displaced. Yeah. But to answer your question, yeah, I did a week of riding in Girona last yeah. time. So you, you know how special it is. I mean, whether you're whether it's you're great. riding on the yeah. road or gravel or mountain biking or just, I mean, the, the town, you, you can't beat it. It's really like it, it's a yeah. dream. I uh, told my wife I, I might not come home, but... <laughs> Yeah. So good. No. So, so, good. so yeah, that was a, that was a great event. We're doing that again this year. Um, so late, late October. 
Awesome. And you were teamed up with the service course. Is that one of your premier shops yep, over there? Exactly. So they do, they actually have uh, mogs as part of their rental fleet. So someone's going there for vacations. It's, it's a hotbed for, um, you know, cycle, cycling tourists coming in. So yeah, they can, you can rent a mog and go, go check it out. Cool. And just so it's not missed at the Grodio event in Utah, Envy does an open house. They bring a bunch of frame builders in. It's just a totally magical weekend of great eye candy, great riding, great people, and a whole lot of fun. Did you try to achieve a similar kind of custom builder vibe in yeah. Girona? Yeah, we tried to take that same model. Um, here here in Ogden, we typically have about two dozen custom frame builders. In Girona, I think they had about, I think there were t- 12, um, mostly mostly European focus, although we did have Argonaut and Mosaic out there as well. Um, yeah. I, I mean, really for a lot of us in the industry, like we just do these things as an excuse so we can go ride our bike in super cool places. And so, yeah, we had, we had some good, uh, we had some great builders out there. Um, good food, killer riding, good time. Yeah. Awesome. I got to see a few of the leftover custom bikes in the service core shop while I was there. So yeah, you guys do it right over there. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate all the time, Neil. I appreciate getting back up to speed on the Mog. I love how it turned out. And I, while I was impatient, you guys delivered. (laughs) Well, thanks Craig. And, uh, you know, my number, if, if you want to jump on one and, uh, take, take some time on it. Of course, man. I hope to see you soon. Thank you. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Gravel Ride Podcast. Big thanks to my friend Neil Shirley for joining the show and telling us all about that Envy Mog gravel bike. I'll put a link in the show note to Envy's website to learn more about this bike and be sure to be on the lookout for it underneath Whitney Allison and Alexi Vermillion in many of the biggest gravel races around the world this year. If you're interested in connecting with me, I encourage you to join the ridership. That's www theridership.com. That's a free global cycling community to connect with other gravel athletes all around the world and exchange our love of the sport. If you're able to support the show, ratings and reviews are hugely appreciated. So go ahead and take a moment and leave us one of those five-star reviews. It really helps with our discoverability. If you're able to support the show, encourage you to visit buymeacoffee.com slash thegravelride. Your financial support of what we do really helps make the show work. It's a labor of love, and I appreciate all the support everyone's provided to me. Until next time, here's to finding some dirt under your wheels.